Um, so welcome, and particularly welcome to uh, Alan and Leslie who are here. Uh, it's great to have you joining with us today. You're getting lots of claps this morning. You're getting more claps than me. That's brilliant. Uh, and it's nice that you're all wearing masks because I get to imagine what you're looking like behind the mask. And in my mind, you're all smiling and, and encouraging and, and, yeah. and looking at me as if I'm speaking amazing truths to you this morning. Yeah, well, hopefully yeah, that's true. Uh, so we're in our series, Victorious, Overcoming the Temptations and Trials of Life. Um, we have been there for, uh, obviously, we had the last two weeks where we weren't in the room. But before that, we, I think four or five weeks we've been in this series. And it's been brilliant. I've really loved it. It's a series that um, is a, it's not just a hearing series. It's not just a series that you come on a Sunday, hear some great stories, a few jokes, uh, a few anecdotes, and then go away again. This is a series that you have to put into practice. Kind of like all the series we do here. Uh, we want to be hearers and doers of the word. The Bible tells us that if you're wise, you don't just hear it, you do it too. The a wise person hears the word and puts it into practice. And that's what we want to be. And that's kind of what this, how this series is designed. It's designed to, to put it into practice. And I have to say, I have found this series really helpful for me. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've taught some amazing things in this series that I've actually put into practice during the week. There was a, a few weeks ago, um, I talked about how you can talk to temptation. Just like Jesus spoke to the devil and in the wilderness, we can talk to temptation. And I, th I said, the thing that we can say is, temptation, you are not going to steal my future. Temptation, you are not going to steal the future of my family. Temptation, you're not going to steal my confidence in God. Those three things. And actually, and when, in my own life, when temptation has risen up, which it does regularly, I've been able to, I've actually been saying those things out loud, you're not going to steal my future. I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to succumb to you. I'm going to resist because you're not going to steal my future. And I found it really helpful to have something to say. Um, those double chocolate chip cookies still look really good, but I am learning to resist when I should. Uh, and it reminds me of a story I heard. I've been telling stories at the beginning of each message. And there was a story of this guy who was on his last legs. He was, he was an old man and he was, he was in his bed and he was dying. Um, but as he's lying there, he knows he hasn't got long left to live. He could smell his wife baking cookies. Not his wife, that would be strange. He could smell his wife downstairs baking cookies, his favourite treat. And he's lying in bed thinking, oh, what would I give for one of those cookies? And, and he, he summons up the energy and he crawls out of bed and he crawls along his bedroom into the hallway. He slides himself down the stairs, crawls through the hallway into the kitchen and he, and he sees them on the table just there and they're double chocolate chip cookies, they're his favourite. And he reaches his hand up to grab one and he picks one up and just then his wife hits the back of the hand with the wooden spoon and he's like, why did you do that dear? And she says, they're for the funeral. Oh, yeah, ouch, yeah. So God, uh, let's get back to it. God wants to move us into a greater level of freedom. Okay, I know that in Paul Campus, they've been doing a series called Freedom Sessions, and it's actually kind of a sister series to what we've been doing. We've, what, the whole point of what we're talking about with Temptation is that we can live in freedom. God wants us to live in freedom. He's not offering us more freedom. He's given us all the freedom that we need already. 
He's already arranged all that. He's done everything necessary. So all the freedom that we need is available to us, but we need to walk in it. Galatians 1, this was uh, Richard's scripture last week in a great message. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free. He's already done it. He's already given us all the freedom. And then it goes on. uh, So do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Don't let yourself. It's our choice. The freedom is there. But it's our choice whether we walk in freedom or whether we let ourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And learning to overcome temptation is part of that process of walking in freedom. Now, we started this series the very first week with a quote from Jonathan Edwards, the American evangelist from the 18th century. Uh, And he said this. He said, people always act towards the strongest desire they have at the moment of choice. And this is important for us to know, because if we know that we're always going to act towards our strongest desire when we're tempted, we need to have a stronger desire at the ready. We need to be ready with a better, a stronger desire than the one that's kind of tempting us to sin. Uh, So, this was a quote from Jonathan Edwards in the 18th century. Then, last time we met, I gave you a quote from Martin Luther in the 15th century, which said this, to be a theologian, you need three things. Prayer, yeah, that makes sense. Meditation, yeah, that makes sense. And temptation. And that's just weird, right? Martin Luther saying that we... To be, a, to be a follower of Jesus, to walk in faith, to grow as a Christian, we need temptation. Well, that's because we need prayer, because it's important that we talk to God. We need meditation, because it's important that we spend time listening to God. And we need uh, temptation, because that's us learning to depend on God. We have to learn to depend on God. And so this week, I thought, actually, I'd really pull out all the stops. So we've been 18th century, 15th century. I'm now going to go back to the 5th century. Okay, it's back 1,600 years. This is St. Augustine. This is what he had to say about temptation. Our life cannot be free from temptation. You can't escape it. You can't escape temptation, but it's not a sin to be tempted. Our life cannot be free before none of us comes to know ourselves except through the experience of temptation. Nor can we be crowned until we have come through victorious. All right, there's our series there. Nor be victorious until we have been in battle, nor fight our battles unless we have an enemy and temptations to overcome. So St. Augustine, all the way back then, recognized the importance of facing temptation in our life. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh, God, just take away all temptation... From me. That's not going to happen because God wants you to overcome it because he knows that you grow when you do. Your life cannot be free from temptation, but it can be free from succumbing to temptation. It can be free from succumbing to it. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. God allows temptations because, not because he wants us to suffer, but because he wants us to know victory. He wants us to grow. And he has done everything necessary to equip us to be victorious in the temptations. All the tools that we need, we've already got. And this brings us to our key verse for the series. Uh, Paul writing to the Corinthian church says, Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory. How? Through Jesus. We get the victory 
through Jesus. Therefore, we can stand firm and we can let nothing move us. So our focus has been on Jesus over the, for the whole series, really. This is how we're going to get temptation. We've been looking at uh, Jesus going into the wilderness. In fact, he doesn't go into the wilderness. It says the Holy Spirit sends him or drives him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he sends him there, not, because, not to give us a template on how to defeat temptation, but he went into the wilderness to get the victory over temptation for us. Uh, and we've seen, actually, in recent weeks, that there is only three temptations that we face. There's only three. Okay, so we've made it nice and easy, and we've looked at the first two, and we're going to look at the third one today. Uh, I like how the Apostle John writes it. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's the first one, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are our three temptations, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So, the lust of the flesh. Uh, this is temptations that appeal to our human appetites. Okay, we all have appetites, appetites for food, appetites for um, physical intimacy, appetites for security and safety. There are, there are various appetites that are not wrong. But the question is, are we fulfilling those appetites the right way? And sometimes we can be tempted to uh, appease those appetites in a, in, a, in, a, in a sinful way or in a wrong way. And that's the lust of the flesh. So Jesus being tempted to turn stones into bread, we know that it says that he'd been fasting for 40 days and he was hungry. And, you know, it's not wrong to eat, it's not wrong to break a fast, but Jesus, um, his victory was to say, I could use my power to do this, but I'm going to choose to trust God, to provide everything I need. Just like God provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness, he provided manna, I'm going to trust God to be my provider. Always. So that was Jesus' victory against the lust of the flesh. And I think this is such a common temptation for us. I don't know about you, but during all the COVID lockdowns, I put on a few COVID kilos. Yeah, and there's no judgment here uh, for that because I think lots of us did. We got bored and so we ate. And, um, but actually, I want to choose a better path. I want to have a greater desire for freedom. And Jesus won the victory for us against the lust of the flesh. We just have to walk in it. So the second temptation that Jesus faced uh, that we looked at last time was the pride of life. Testing God. This is a temptation that appeals to my ego. Okay, this is where I presume on God or put myself in a position above God. Acting out of my own desires, creating my own plans and then expecting God to bless my plans. And when everything goes pear-shaped, to rescue me, to save me. It's presuming on God. Um, And maybe even I get cross with God or blame God when things don't go the way that I want them to go. And for Jesus, his temptation was, looked like this. It, he was him standing on the highest point of the temple and being tempted to jump down. To jump down where all the people were, all, all the religious leaders, all the Pharisees and the scribes. His temptation was to jump off the highest point of the temple. Why was that a temptation to Jesus? Anyone in their right mind jumping off a high building shouldn't be a temptation, right? Well, I think 
I expect Jesus' temp- temptation was, was to make an entrance. In, this was right at the start of his ministry. And what a start this would have been for him. To, to leap off the temple building, to land in the temple courts and kind of dust himself off. And everybody would look at him and say, wow, who are you? He said, oh, I'm Jesus, the Son of God. Wow, good. Yeah, that's amazing what you just did. How can I follow you? It would have been tempted to begin a ministry with a bang like that. But Jesus knew it wasn't the right way. He knew that God's plan for his ministry was a different path. And more than anything else, his greatest desire was to be obedient to God, to follow God's plan. And it reminds me of of kind of Peter a little bit. Peter was a little bit impetuous, wasn't he? Uh, He was always kind of jumping in and getting his foot in his mouth and saying the wrong thing. But I love this, the point where Jesus is walking on the water towards the boat and Peter's there in the boat and he's tempted to, to run towards Jesus on the water. But he doesn't. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And that's really the answer to this temptation. Lord, if it's you, tell me to step out. Tell me to go. Tell me to do this. Tell me to, to go there. Lord, if it's you, if it's, if it's your will, I will do it. I'm ready to jump out the comfort of my boat, but I'm, I want it to be your purpose and your plans and your will. So that's the second temptation, the pride of life. Then the third temptation we're looking at today is the lust of the eyes. And this temptation is, is, is something that appeals to my senses, to my desires. Okay, these are my ambitions that I have in me fixing my eyes on everything that the world has got to offer, looking around at what other people have and desiring to possess those things. The lust of the eyes. Now, we're bombarded with this temptation. I think this is probably one of the hardest ones, actually, because we're bombarded with this every day. The whole of of kind of Western economy and civilization is built around this temptation, the lust of the eyes. Do you know what feeds this temptation? Everything. Everything feeds this temptation. Uh, advertising. We're bombarded with the internet and social media and TV adverts and the backs of buses all day long telling us that we should be upgrading, that we should get in this new thing, new shiny thing, rejecting the old and buying a new thing. We'll find true happiness if we do this. Every, who knows that it's Black Friday this coming weekend? I know, I know. I've already been looking. I kind of can't stop myself. But I must. I must. For many people, things are not just things. They are tied into their identity. They think, if I just have this car, if I just live in the right road, if I dress a certain way, if I go to the right school, if I hang out with the right people, if I eat the right food, then I'm going to be happy or I'll be acceptable to people. There's a there's an advert at the moment that I've seen. Uh, it's for beer, Peroni beer. And this advert is, is a boat in the middle of the beautiful blue Mediterranean Sea. And on this boat, there's some young, trendy, tanned Italian men and women looking all groomed and beautiful. And they're all holding bottles of Peroni beer. And they all look so happy. And I'm watching this advert and I'm thinking to myself, I know what you're doing. You're trying to tell me that if I drink Peroni beer, I'm going to be like that. And I know it's a lie. 
But then I'm in Tesco and I see Peroni beer and I think, yes, I want to be tanned and young and happy and Italian and at the Mediterranean, so I'm just going to put those in my trolley. It works. It's a subconscious thing. And we all buy into things. Maybe not that one, but there's all sorts of things going on all the time. It hasn't always been this way. Advertising back in the olden days, back in my parents' days, uh, it used to be... <laughs> It used to be. <laughs> it used to be that advertising was information. They would they would look like this. They would say things like, "You can taste the fruit. Buy fruit gums. You can taste the fruit." Or you'd see this one: "Tired? Drink Coca-Cola. It relieves exhaustion." <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. Or this one: "Asthma cigarettes for your health." If you have asthma, smoke acid. I don't know where that came from. Strange. Yeah. Asthma, hay fever, foul breath, all diseases of the throat, head colds. This cigarette treats those things. No. And my favourite, they're happy because they eat lard. I love that. So good. So, so good. But I say that, I laughed at this, but then I remembered how my, my nan, my dad's mum, when we would go there, she would sometimes give us beef dripping. Yeah. Spread on bread. Oh, beef dripping is the best. That, I was happy because I ate fat. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So where does this idea of advertising that we're going to become happy if we buy things come from? Well, it start, let me give you a bit of a history lesson. It started after the Second World War. What happened was the governments were there thinking we've got to somehow kickstart our economy. Uh, we've gone through this difficult time. We've, we've overspent. We've, we've kind of been fighting this war. And they got together with heads of business and marketing executives and they came up with a plan. And their plan was to create economies built out of consumerism. That was their plan. I, there's a quote here from a Wall Street banker at the time who wrote this. We must shift from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old has been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. That's the world we live in today. That's it, right there. They, and, it's, and it's intentional, trying to create a desires-based culture rather than a needs-based culture. Who remembers right after the, the first or second COVID lockdown, I can't remember which, the first thing that the government was asking us to do was to spend money in shops and to go to restaurants. Right before schools were opened, before churches were opened, you've got to be spending because that's what our economy is built on. So where did this modern idea of advertising come from? Does anybody know? about these things will make you happy. This whole, it came from Nazi Germany. Did you know that? The propaganda machine of Nazi Germany. It was, uh, they took on the, um, the ideas of, of the psychotherapist Sigmund Freud, who said, uh, we all think we're rational, but actually people make irrational decisions all the time and you can tap into their subconscious and make them make irrational decisions. And this is how the kind of the Nazi propaganda machine got the German people to buy in to all sorts of horrendous policies. And, that's re and, and straight after the war, 
the marketing and advertising executives took on these same ideas in order to get us to buy things. Advertising is propaganda, and at its heart is this temptation, the lust of the eyes, creating desires in us of the things that we see, creating a desire for things that we don't actually need. I used to have a job touring the country uh, for Technics, Panasonic, uh, selling or demonstrating their pianos and keyboards. So I would rock up to a conference center or an exhibition hall or, or a large shop, and there'd be you know, hundreds of people there, all there, and it would be my job, I would be the expert in the room to demonstrate these pianos. And so, you know, when I first got the job, the first thing I did was get all the manuals for these pianos and learn all about what these pianos could do. Okay, and so, and so I would sit there, I'd have a crowd of people behind me, and I'd say, this is, piano is this SRPR 104 digital ensemble. It's got a 128-note polyphony. It's got touch-sensitive weighted hammer action keys. It's got a 16-track sequencer, 16-bit um, uh, samples. This is the best piano. And I'd look around, and everybody's eyes would be glazed over, just like yours eyes are glazed over right now. That's what they would look like. And... And I learned pretty quickly that that wasn't the way of selling pianos. So I then started to, to play really fast and clever, kind of Rachmaninoff and, and, and George Gershwin. And, and they would be impressed with it. And then they would walk away and they still wouldn't buy. I thought, okay, well, I need, I, need a different, I need a different approach. And so I came up with this approach that was brilliant and worked every time. And I would paint a picture, I would tempt them, I'd go, uh, picture this, it's Christmas morning, your family and your friends are around your house and sat in your lounge, and you sit down at the SRPR 104 digital ensemble, <laughs> and you, you open up the lid and you switch it on, you press these three buttons, and then you start to play, and I would play with two fingers, the simplest, the simplest thing I could, and I, and I would play the Titanic theme, you know, my heart will go on, but I'd do it with just two fingers and make it look simple. The, the, the machine would be pumping out a full orchestra and a band and everything, it would be all going, but I would be doing two fingers, and they would be looking at it going, I can see that. I could do that. That could be me. I could be in my lounge with all my friends on Christmas morning playing that because it's so easy. There are literally thousands of SRPR 104 digital ensembles all over this country in people's homes gathering dust because of me. <laughs> because of my two fingers and my advertising. I was evil, right? Just getting people to buy these things. Um, but the power of of creating a desire, it's, it's, it's really powerful. The lust of the eyes is a powerful temptation. And this is a situation where Jesus finds himself for the third temptation. So Matthew chapter 4. So the devil's tempted him twice, and then it says this, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. I don't know if that was that's figuratively or if he actually did go with the devil to a high mountain and, and it says it showed him all the kingdoms of the world I don't know if it was a kind of 
because obviously you can't see all the kingdoms of the world literally, but maybe he could, maybe he could make it look like a big screen or something and he could see them, or whether it's just Jerusalem and Jericho and all the towns around it, but it, it was representing all the kingdoms of the world. And this line here, and there, splendor. Look at this, look at all of this, in all of its splendor. He said, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Now I've read about Jesus, I've read the Gospels, and Jesus was someone who was in control of his desires. He really was. So why was this a temptation to him? To be a temptation, it's got to be something that Jesus desired. It's got to be something that Jesus wanted. This, is not, this, wasn't, this wasn't an easy thing for Jesus. It was a temp, It actually was a temptation for him. He had to overcome it. So what was it, what was it that was tempting to this? For turning the stones into bread, Jesus was hungry, so that's kind of obvious. For jumping off the temple building, Jesus was starting his ministry, so that kind of makes sense. Why is this a temptation for Jesus? Because I think it's because this is the thing he came for. He came to retake authority over the kingdoms of the world. This was his purpose. This is why God sent him to earth. In the, in the uh, story of Genesis, you know that um, authority was given, you know, God made the whole planning, he made the plants and the flowers and the uh, birds and the fish, he did all creation, then he made man and woman, set them in the garden, and he told them to rule. He said, rule over the birds of the sky and the, and the fish of the sea and all the creatures in the world. Be fruitful. Increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. And so Adam and Eve were given authority, and mankind was given authority. But then when Adam and Eve sinned, and they were kicked out of the garden, they lost the authority. They lost their authority. And Jesus' purpose was to come back and retake the authority over the kingdoms of this world. And so that's why this is a temptation. Because the devil's saying to him, you can fulfill your God-given purpose here and now. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go through all that pain and suffering and torture. You can do this now. And I think this is a temptation that can happen to us too. We can be moving towards our God-given purpose and we can see it in the distance what God has called us to. But we're tempted on the way to... uh, to make mistakes, to, to try and control things our way rather than do things. We compromise God's values in order to get to where we think God wants us to go. We can do that. And that moment arises and maybe we, we, we see in the future what God wants us to become, but we think time is running out and we need to bend the rules and we think the issue is the thing that we desire. But the actual issue is to say, I want to be where God wants me to be moment by moment. The moment we compromise what's important for what's immediate, we lose confidence in God. I've shared this story before. 20 odd years ago when I left university, I started work in a bank. This was supposed to be just a temporary thing because I was a musician. I'd studied music at uni and I was going to be a great musician. And then uh, I went to work in a bank and we got a mortgage. I got married and Three years later, I'm still there. And then one Sunday morning in a, in a service, not unlike this, uh, the preacher gave a message, and I felt God speak directly to me. And he said, uh, it's time for you to hand your notice in at the bank. I've got something better for you in music. 
So I went home, spoke to Fru, and she said, great, let's do it. So the next day, I handed in my notice at the bank, six weeks notice. I've now, I said to myself, I've got six weeks to find myself the job. I completely forgot that God said he had something for me. And I thought, okay, so now I'm going to go all out. And I, and I wrote 120 letters to various musical organisations across London. Uh, I made a great CV with covering letters to all these people. I put them in envelopes. I stamped these envelopes. They were all addressed. They were sat in a box. And then God said to me, if you send all those letters out, who's going to get the glory? You or me? Didn't I tell you that I've got something for you? I'm like, yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I say to Fru, I think I'm going to have to not send out these letters. She's like, okay. So I put all the letters in the bin. Stamps and everything. There was no recycling then. It was just all in the bin. I'm like, okay. So, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. Four weeks left to go of my notice period, nothing. Three weeks, Nothing. Two weeks, not a thing. Okay. One week to go, got nothing. Two days before I was due to leave the bank, Fru strikes up a conversation with a guy on a train who happens to run a music business, who's starting a new segment of a music business, and needs someone to help him run it. And so the day, literally the day before I'm due to leave the bank, I get offered this job. And a day later, I find myself on an aeroplane to Frankfurt with a new car and a, and a phone and going heading toward the, the biggest music trade show in the world at, at the, in Frankfurt in Germany. And actually where I got to play with Jules Holland. Actually, that's not, that's not true. Uh, we were on a stand and I was playing piano here and he was playing a piano over there. We were just <laughs> head, headphones on. But I'm sure he remembers it. Um, but... Um, it's not just the destination that's important. How we get there is also important. And we can be tempted, we can be tempted to look with our human eyes and miss what God wants. Temptation always tests our trust in God and it's always at the door of all of us. And we can slip into looking around at what others have and what their lives are like and I can compare my circumstances with other people and feel like I've been shortchanged. Just very quickly, there's a guy in the, in the Psalms, a guy called Asaph, who wrote 12 of the Psalms. He was one of the worship leaders appointed by David. And um, Psalm 73 is one of the ones he wrote. And it's, it's an honest portrayal of this exact temptation, the lust of the eyes, to look at somebody else's success and to say, what's the point in doing the right thing? And I love how he goes. So he starts off, surely God is good to Israel. I know God is a good God to those who are pure in heart. He said, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foot. I was tempted. He's, he was saying, I nearly messed up. I, I was tempted to do the wrong thing. He goes on, for I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. I look at my neighbours at their great houses. I look at the cars that the mums drive on the school run. I look at the holidays that people take that I can't seem to afford to go on. They don't seem to resist the temptations that come up and they seem to be doing okay. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. This is what Asaph 
says. What's the point in doing the right thing? What's the point in resisting temptation? But then he gets a hold of himself. And he remembers that God is faithful. God's been faithful before. He'll do it again. He moved mountains before. I believe he's going to do it again. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire. Imagine if we took that. Earth has nothing I desire beside you. If we create a stronger desire for God than the things that we're tempted by. And then he says again, but as for me. I don't care what other people are doing. I'm not going to look at what my neighbor's driving or what their house is like or what holidays they're going on. As for me, I'm going to be near God. I'm going to focus on getting myself right with God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I'm going to tell of his deeds. So Jesus' temptation is to bypass God's plan in order to get to the right destination. And how does Jesus confront this temptation? Well, he does what he has done in the previous two. He goes back to the, uh, back to the wilderness, back to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And he quotes from Deuteronomy. And he says, you know, where, where Moses tells the children of Israel, he says, don't, don't forget God. He says, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. When you go into the promised land, don't forget who's brought you here. Don't abandon God now. And Jesus says to the devil, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. A couple of chapters later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you can't can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And that's true. We can't serve both God and the things that we desire with our eyes. We've got to choose. And it is our choice. We get to choose. And what does he say? Away from me, Satan. We're told in James to resist the devil and he will flee. And I think sometimes we do that. We think, oh, resist, 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 resist. And we forget what actually comes before that sentence, which actually says submit to God. Submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Actually, it's the submission to God. That's how it starts. It's paradoxic, really, that we, uh, our victory comes from a posture of submission to God. A submission that creates a desire for a better relationship with him. Now, Jesus had a strong desire for all the kingdoms of the world. I'm nearly done. I know we're going to get over time, but I'm nearly done. This was his ultimate destination. He knew it. He knew why he was on this earth. He was on this earth to retake the authority of the kingdoms of the world. And so that desire is in him. But he had a stronger desire for something else. And his stronger desire was unbroken fellowship with God his Father. So he had a desire to take authority over the kingdoms of the world but he had a stronger desire to be obedient to his father. And guess what he got in the end? He got both. He got both. By making himself obedient to God, by putting himself under God's plans, not just for the destination, but for the journey, he he ended up with both. We read in the uh, Great Commission, Matthew 28, it starts with this line, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. He had authority. He was given authority. He earned authority on the cross. He had to go through the process. 
He was obedient to God and he got to get all the authority. What do we get when we compromise our kingdom values? Even if it's to achieve what we think our kingdom destination is. Can I say we get neither? We lose both. Our first and foremost desire should be for a relationship, obedient relationship to him, to God. And then we will end up with everything. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first, first. That's our first desire. That's our strongest desire. His kingdom and his righteousness. All these things, (laughs) don't worry about those. They'll be given you anyway. You'll get both. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm done. But I want you to, to remember those lines that have helped me. Temptation, you are not going to steal my future. Temptation, you are not going to steal my family's future. Temptation, you are not going to steal my confidence in God. Come on, let's walk in freedom, church. Let's be a church that grows and lives in the freedom that he's already paid for. Amen? Amen. 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 We are done.